Hello, and welcome to this Solus Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solaschurch.com. Luke 11, verses 1 through 2 first says, New King James Version here, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to him, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of God for the people of God, to which we say, thanks be to God. This is the word of God for the people of God, to which we say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, I am so thrilled about this journey, um, and I'm excited for where it's going to start today. Um, I want to preach this morning from the title, The Prayer Request. This is where we want to start today. My message this morning is entitled, The Prayer Request. Now, as long as Christians have been praying and the church has been gathering, this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, has been present in fact, I'm curious, how many in this room, you grew up in a church environment where you've recited this prayer? Okay, a couple of you. How many of you have this memorized? All right, who wants to come up? I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. All right. Um, yeah, most of us do, right? This is uh, probably, e- easy to say, the most famous prayer in history. It's at least certainly the most famous Christian prayer in history. And I think that's a really cool thing. It's cool to see how the Lord's Prayer over time has become almost sacramental. The church has certain sacraments, things given to us, holy things by Jesus that are on the outside and they're meant to work their way in, like the Lord's table, like baptism. And in a sense, the Lord's Prayer is almost sacramental. It's a part of liturgy. It's a part of church services. It's a way to remember and reflect on things about God by external practice. Um, and as much as that is a good thing, how many of us also know that there's, there's also a, um, a misuse of the Lord's Prayer? There's been great misuse. God's used it, but man has very much misused it, which is also interesting. Um, it, it's funny, when you look at Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, uh, G, there's this verse that Jesus gives right before it. It's so ironic. He says, do not use vain repetitions in your prayers like the heathens do. And then he gives the Lord's Prayer. And it feels like most people, they recite the Lord's Prayer, but they forget to read the previous verse that says, don't do this like a church robot and just say, our Father who art in heaven. And how much of the Lord's Prayer has actually been experienced that way? For a lot of us, actually, that's kind of where we're at today. You're like a series on the Lord's Prayer. I feel like everybody knows everything there is to know about the Lord's Prayer, Andrew. Everyone says it, Christian or not, we all know it, but maybe we don't. Maybe we don't. Even just what we just read. One of the main things I think that is lost with the Lord's Prayer is its proper context in a conversation that we just saw between Jesus and his disciples. How many people who recite the Lord's Prayer actually know that this prayer, it's not meant to be this ritualistic routine that's that's sort of recited robotically, but it was originally Jesus' teaching response to the disciples' request. Their, I don't know if you get the pun yet, but their prayer request. You get it? Good. Teach us to pray was their prayer request. <laughs> Jesus obliged, of course, and he gave them what is, has come to be known as the Lord's Prayer. And I want to take some time this morning, not so much to dig fully yet into the Lord's Prayer. We're going to do that for the next three weeks. But I want to take a moment today to set some foundational work here on prayer, on the Lord's Prayer, by really looking into this request that is the source of this prayer's origination. Um, It's an incredible request that I think is worth us studying. I don't think we can actually fully learn from the Lord's Prayer until we first resonate with this request. This request for Jesus to teach us to pray. You can't learn the Lord's Prayer for what it is unless that's a cry in your heart. God, teach me to pray. 
And it's funny that I'm calling it a request. It is a request in the original language, the way that it's, it's recited. But it, you know, it's kind of funny. It's not kind of like how your kid asks you for things. The way that they request it is teach us to pray. It's like the most demanding request ever. It's like, is that a question? It is, actually. It is a question. But nonetheless, this request. Now, um, Jesus was no stranger. Let's start here. Jesus was no stranger to a request. They were a, 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 it was a rather common part of his schedule. Uh, if you look at the gospel accounts, you follow the life of Jesus, you know what you find? Everywhere that Jesus went, there were people asking something of him, some kind of request. Jesus, would you heal my daughter? Jesus, could you resurrect my mother? Jesus, could you answer this spiritual question for me? Jesus, could you solve this theological riddle for me? Everywhere he went. And what's amazing about Jesus, unlike how I can tend to be as a parent with all the requests that we receive, is that Jesus was never frustrated, right? Or thrown off his rocker by all the demands. It was like he always just kind of walked in unison and harmony with his father to where he was never overwhelmed by life's demands. In fact, he was moved, the Bible says, often with compassion. There's this story where the disciples come to Jesus and they go, Jesus, this is great. Your tour is really rocking. People are following. This is getting really popular. We got, we're up to like 2 mil Instagram followers right now. This is a really big deal. Keep it going. But here's what we think, Jesus. We think maybe we should send the crowds away, tell them to go check out the local lunch spot here in Jerusalem, and maybe we should go on like a retreat and relax for a minute. You know, these retreat things are going to be really big in your church in the years to come. We should try one out, right? And... There's the story there in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus goes, no, don't send them away. He was moved with compassion to meet these needs. Um, but you got to imagine, with all the requests that Jesus received and never being bothered by any of them, you got to imagine that to Jesus, this was a special one. Almost like a cool breeze on a hot summer coming Florida day. I don't mean to remind you, but just the way that it came in, I mean, what? teach you to pray? I mean, I'm cool with requests, but I'm really cool with this one. I, this kind of happened to me last week um, with Judah, and I keep going back to parenting because I'm trying to, if you're not parents yet, I'm just preparing you. Like, how do I get ready for parenting? Put yourself in a situation where people are asking you to do things 24-7 of the day, okay? 24 hours a day, seven days a week of the day. That's not proper math, but you get what I'm saying. Put yourself in a situation where there's constant Request, Dad, can I do this? Dad, can I see this? Dad, can I see this? And it's, you know, you, you got to learn as a parent to appreciate it. They say the days are long, but the years are short. And that's usually kind of the cycle that Brittany and I get into, especially if I haven't seen Judy. He's been at school. I've been throughout the week, and I'm with him. And it's just like, if I haven't seen, it's like, Dad, Dad, Dad. And I'm kind of like, okay, Judah, I'm here, you know. And then I go to bed at night like, oh, I'm the worst parent, you know. Um, but parents are laughing as they resonate, but that's good. Um, nonetheless, um, last week, Amidst all the requests, Judah came up to me. I'm not even kidding you. And he said, Dad, will you teach me? He didn't say to pray. That would have been cool. Um, but he said, Dad, can you teach me how to play guitar? In my head, I'm going, wrong person to ask that. But out of my mouth came, yep, all right. And what I should have said was, let me you know, get Jeremiah. He's asked Jeremiah a few times to give him some lessons. But I know enough basics about guitar to teach a five-year-old, I'd say. That's, my, that's the level of my school. I can teach a five-year-old how to play guitar. That's how good I am. Um, and so, you know, there, there's something about that kind of request. And that's one example for Judah of a lot, right, right? Where as a parent, it's like there's not a lot of greater joys in life than as a dad when your son comes up to you and asks you to teach him something that you're passionate about. Now, guitar is not so much one of those things. But certainly skateboarding is. And Judah, in a sense, has become my skate disciple. If you follow me on Instagram, I'm sure you might have seen that. I, I, without Judah, I would not be on a skateboard um, uh, anymore, which would probably be a good thing, to be honest. But um, he keeps me on the board. And, and then there's, there's just great joy in being a dad. You kind of like relive your childhood a little bit through your kids. It just does something in your heart in a special way. So I just imagine here's Jesus. All the requests that he could receive, all the requests that he does receive on a day-in, day-out basis. And the disciples... I wonder, I wonder, I know he's all-knowing, right? But in his humanity, I wonder if for a second Jesus was kind of preparing for what they were going to ask. Okay, just got back from praying. Thank you. I'm ready for the disciples now. And, here, and they go, Jesus? And he's like, oh boy, what are they going to ask? And he's, he looks at them and they say, would you teach us to pray? Just imagine the heart of Jesus. Like, wow, yes, yes. And it's kind of surprising. I'm sure he was a little bit like, sure, yeah, 
yeah, I could teach you to pray. Um, you know, because if we study the disciples, what we learn is this is rather unusual for them. It's a bit surprising to see the disciples get something right. right? Like we could go to any other passage of scripture and the sermon would be called, uh, one example would be the fire request. It was another occurrence with Jesus and his disciples. And they said, Jesus, these guys, cultural barriers, they're not allowing us to pass through this town. I was thinking, just in the name of you and the gospel, that we could bring down fire from heaven and burn them and their families alive <laughs> with fire. Jesus is like, no, request denied. <laughs> guys. Or I love the story of uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, being too afraid to ask Jesus themselves, so they, they did what any of us would do when we're afraid to ask a question. We make someone else ask it for us. And they send their mother to Jesus, and we'll call that the seeding request. And they said, um, through their mother, the surrogate mom is there, poor mom. Hey, Jesus, hey, how's it going? It's me. Hey, mother of disciples. Um, I was wondering, when the whole, like, your kingdom, it's the already not yet kingdom, it's here, it's going to come, like, when it's officially established, I was wondering, my boys, they're, they're your buddies. You think they could get like a front row seat to all that? I was just thinking maybe some VIP tickets. Um, maybe you're right and left. You know, who knows? Um, but somewhere at least close to your throne. And he's like, you, and he, I love he goes right past the mom. He goes, he goes, guys, guys. They're like hiding behind a rock. Come here. Bunch of wimps making your mom ask it for you. He goes, you don't even know what you're asking right now. And then I'll share one more. It's uh, another one of my favorites. I'll call it the tabernacle request. It's in Matthew's gospel chapter, I believe it's 17, that Jesus goes up on a mountain to pray. He brings three of his disciples along with him, and it's on this mountain that Jesus is transfigured before the disciples. Um, this is divinity clothed in humanity, and it's as if Jesus flips his reversible jersey. Come on, all right? And that divinity starts to shine like the brightest, whitest Light And there, in the midst of this God-holy moment where no one should say a word and just enjoy what's happening, Moses and Elijah show up. And the Bible says, and Peter, Peter, Peter says, Lord, the first thing he says is, it's good for us to be here. Just want you to know that. I just think we were discussing it. Good choice having us here with you. We were thinking... Do you want me to build you, Moses, and Elijah a tabernacle? In other words, I like it here. Let's make this permanent. Let's, I like the whole glory thing. There's a lot of Christians like it, too. I only need the light, right? Like, we can make this permanent. And a couple of mistakes Peter was making. He was putting Jesus on evil level with Moses, or equal level with Moses and, and Elijah. The other mistake he was making was talking. In fact, I love Luke's, you know what Luke's version says? Have you ever read this? Matthew doesn't say this, but Luke's version, Luke is telling the same story, and he goes, Peter said this not knowing what he was saying. It's like, I love the humanity of those guys, right? Uh, we call them saints, but they're just dudes. They're dudes. And, and here's Peter like, uh, he didn't know what he was asking for. So a bit of a surprise, but nonetheless, this request, they nailed it. They hit the target. I think there are a few key things that led the disciples to this moment. And I think that we also need to possess the same three things that I want to show us here today. To ask Jesus this same question, which is to teach us to pray. Three things here in Luke 11 that I believe were rooted in the disciples' heart, no matter how often they would miss it. Like, I'm, I'm the same way. I, half the time, I don't know what I'm asking for or why. I'm, I probably shouldn't be. But there were some things that were rooted in the disciples' hearts that were sort of the, the things that provoked this question. I, I think this is the most important question that we as a church can be asking Jesus. Let me say right now. There's so much tendency here, I think, to, to start to figure out how can we strategize more. Lord, teach us to reach more people. Lord, um, teach us to create great pipe and drape environments. Lord, teach us, teach, Lord, help me preach better. Lord, and there was something that caused the disciples to go, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, we've asked a lot for a lot of dumb things. We've been off a lot, but there were some things in the disciples' hearts, some deep-rooted things that provoked this question. Lord, we need to know how to pray. We need your help to be a praying people. A praying people. Let's look at each of those three things that I think provoked 
this request in the heart of the disciples. The first was an acknowledgement, number one, of the necessity of prayer. An acknowledgement of the necessity of prayer. I think that was the first deep-rooted thing in the hearts of the disciples that led them to ask Jesus this question, can you teach us how to pray? And I think if it's in our hearts as well, we're going to pray that same prayer. Um, an acknowledgement that prayer is not just important, that it, not just that it should be prioritized, but it is a necessity. This is hard for us as Americans to know the difference between a want and a necessity. So I really got to hammer on this for a second. We, we see in Scripture, in the disciples saw in the life of Jesus, prayer not as something that should just be supplemental to life, but a necessity to spiritual life. Like air is to breathing, prayer is to the spiritual life. Necessity. And they saw this in the life of Jesus. Um, they watched how Jesus prioritized prayer. Like if there was one thing that they could summarize about the life of Jesus, they spent a lot of time with him. The one thing they could say is, here's what we know about Jesus. That dude prays. That guy prays. In fact, you read scripture in the Gospels alone, there are 15, 15 separate occasions of Jesus praying. Like getting alone to pray. We know he prayed all throughout. But 15 separate occasions, 11 here in Luke. We, we see in Mark's Gospel, Jesus rises up in the morning to pray. In Luke's gospel, Jesus would slip away during the day to pray. Think of Daniel in the Old Testament. It was his custom three times a day to slip away. Just, I'm going to go wherever that is, whatever that place is. It's like, I'm going to create a sacred space between me and my God because he is within me and he's with me right now. And Daniel, three times a day, would get on his knees and do the same. Jesus would slip away during the day. Matthew tells us that in the evening he would pray. And we don't just mean like the now I lay me's and graces. Like he would pray there in the evening. Luke tells us there's a case where he prayed all through the night. You know, Jesus would sacrifice even sleep for prayer. Uh, just reading through Luke is a really interesting case. Let me read you some of these verses. Luke 15, oh, sorry, Luke chapter 5, verse, verse 15 and 16 it says, Yet all the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. Verse 16 says, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Often. Luke 6, you go to the next chapter, and verse 12 says, One of those days Jesus went on the mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. Then you get to chapter 9. It says, Once when Jesus was praying in private, his disciples were there with him. The same chapter, verse 28, says, About eight days later after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him. He went up on a mountain to pray. You get the theme here? And here in Luke 11, verse 1, we just read it. It came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. That is what provoked this question. What they saw in the life of Jesus was that his prayer life was the center point of his whole spiritual life. They didn't ask him, Jesus, teach us to heal demons or cast out demons like you do. Teach us to heal the sick. Teach us to raise the dead. Teach us to walk on water. Teach us how to, how to manage our finances, Lord. T teach us how to, how to lead healthy families, Lord. Lord, teach us to pray. They observed something in his life that prayer was a necessity. It was the source of everything else that came out of his life. He goes on to say in Matthew 6, verse 33, a great principle for our lives. If we would seek first the kingdom of God, it's a principle. And all his righteousness, everything else will take care of itself. All that other stuff will be added. The necessity of prayer. Um, and this wasn't just something that we can observe here in the life of Jesus. This is something explicitly, completely described all throughout Scripture. You see the necessity of prayer. That God's people must be a praying people. Two specific sides of this that I want us to see. The, the first way that we see the necessity of prayer in Scripture is we see that prayer is necessary, a necessity for spiritual intimacy, number one. We see this all throughout the Word of God. Spiritual intimacy, this is knowing God. This is what Jesus was doing when he was alone with the Father. He was communing. He was having relationship. He was, he was knowing his Father. And we know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is that through Jesus we can know God again. Amen? Sin is the thing that has caused the chasm of distance between us and our relationship with God. But Colossians says, we who were once far have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. Um, God is, for the rest of your life and on into eternity, I want you to understand this as a Christian, no matter how you feel, God is always closer than you could ever dream him to be. He's a prayer away. 
It's a prayer way. We, we, we even gave the definition of prayer this way um, a couple weeks ago when we were studying James. I think as sort of a, a foundational understanding of what we mean about relationship with God in prayer. Uh, we, we want to define prayer this way. We're going to talk about prayer for the next four weeks, so we should probably lay a, a, de- a definition here. When we say prayer, all sorts of things might come to mind for you, you know. Um, the, you know our fathers, maybe it's like someone being really loud and, and passionate and like sweaty, you know. Like maybe it's that. Uh, maybe it's like yoga and Pilates. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's not yoga and Pilates, but... Nonetheless, in Scripture, we see prayer as being this, intentionally directed communication with God. It is intentionally focused communication and relationship with God. We see in the Garden of Eden, before sin broke into this world, God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. There was relationship. And here's what we know, everybody who's in a relationship, we all have relationships. What we know is that those relationships find their health in its communication, right? The people who know you best have have learned what they know about you mostly through your words, certainly our actions, don't get me wrong there, but deep intimacy starts first with with mind-to-mind connection and communication. Communication we even see in scripture as a means of, of revealing who we are to people. Like the people that you struggle to know the most about in your life are probably people that don't, you're like, I wish you would talk more. I want to get to know you, but I can't get to know you if all I know is just you, like not talking to me, right? Like I need you to open up is what you say. I want to get to know you. And that's, that's the beauty of communication, intimacy, relationship. As I said, Jesus came to restore that in it being broken through sin. On the, on the, on the cross, we know Jesus declared, um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see that on the cross. Jesus bearing that rejection, that gap, that distance, so that you and I never have to. And he even tells us in John 17 what this looks like now. He says, I love this, John 17, 23. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is so cool. All right, a lot of us, we tend to think of eternal life as, oh, and I live forever in that place, heaven in the clouds somewhere. That's not found in Scripture. Jesus is preparing a place for us, but it's the person of heaven that makes heaven heaven. It's the God of heaven that makes heaven heaven. It's been said, we don't go to Jesus to get heaven, we go to heaven to get Jesus. You know what that means? You don't have to die to experience eternal life. You can experience heaven on earth right now, how? Through a relationship with God. This is eternal life that you live forever, know that you would know the only true God and his son Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That's what Jesus came to restore through the gospel. That's why, and listen, prayer is the language of that relationship. So, so, like, I think we'd be better as those who are trying to stir each other up in our relationships with God. Like, a really common question is, like, how's your relationship with the Lord, man? How's it going? How's your relationship? How's the relay going, bro? All right? And a lot of times I think where our minds go is, how's my obedience? How am I doing? Am I doing good things or am I doing bad things? How's your relationship with God? Oh, well. I'm, he's great. All the time, God is good. All the good is good all the time. Something like that. But the real state of your relationship with God is not your performance because that's not what got you into this relationship in the first place. The quality of your relationship with God is your communication with God. This is what the enemy loves to confuse when we sin. He hides the cross. He puts us in shame. And like Adam and Eve, we try to hide ourselves from God. Why wouldn't we communicate with the one who's already forgiven us? The quality of your relationship with God is not your performance. It's your communication. Same with your your, your spouses. Same with everybody else in your relationship. This is what it looks like to know God. That's what prayer is about. It's necessary. Prayer is necessary to know God. Prayer is the means through which I lay hold of my relationship with God. We should start asking ourselves, not so much how is your relationship with God, how about we start asking this, what does your communication with God look like? That's the best question we can ask ourselves. Do you sense him speaking to you, and here's, are you speaking back to him? A lot of times, the way that you know where someone's relationship with God is at is they're, they're dumping everything on everyone else. And it's like, have you brought that to the one who knows and understands most? Communication with God. It's how we lay hold of that relationship. It's, it's necessary. I love the way that David Platt 
uh, described the importance of this, and especially as it comes to prayer. Because a lot of us, we don't think about prayer this way. We think about prayer as a means to attain something rather than someone to know. David Platt said it this way. He said, prayer is not first about getting something. It's about knowing someone. I love that. Prayer is not about getting something. You know, like Aladdin, you know, Will Ferrell or Will Smith and different guys. But, you know, the, the new genie. You know, let me get, you know, let me, let me get my three, let, let me see you accomplish what I need. Like, come on, sometimes we know that with our kids. Like, can you just be my child for a second and be my friend? You know, like, like know me, let's be, now that's what God is hungering for. And it's amazing how patient God is too. How faith, He still is faithful to answer our prayers when we're not looking to him as the source of our joy. But that's what he's calling us into, all right? Spiritual intimacy, um, which I believe this first and foremost. I believe that every human being if you're in here today and you're like, what is that like to know God? Or, you know, maybe right now you're like, oh, man, I'm not, I don't really pray. It's like, I'm not a Christian yet, or I don't really understand that. I, I, and I want to challenge that. Um, Scott Erickson is one of my favorite artists. He's a visual artist. And uh, in his book, 40 Days of Prayer, he says this, that we pray because we are human, not because we are religious. Something within our nature points beyond itself. Something in us searches for and de- desires personal connection with God. Maybe right now you're like, I've never prayed because I'm not spiritual enough. I don't know enough about the Bible. All you need to do is step into and respond to that craving that God's put in your heart to know him. You just start engaging with him. You just start talking like you would a friend. You just start communicating with God. It's a beautiful thing. We see this even in the beginning. After man fell, after sin came into this world, there's this little hidden verse in Genesis 4. Uh, you have Cain kills Abel, and then a, a new line comes. God gives Adam and Eve another child, Seth. Seth has a son. I believe it's Enosh, not Enoch. And the Bible has this little verse at the end of Genesis 4 that says, Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. Like, even in the beginning, when sin first entered, broke everything, there was still within us this, like, there's got to be more, and I'm, I'm reaching for someone. It's prayer. And prayer is that necessary middle ground to engage in that relationship that we were all created for that Jesus restores. But not just spiritual intimacy. That's a big part of it. But I also want to say that prayer is a necessity for spiritual activity. This is also huge. This is another thing we see in Scripture. Spiritual activity. The disciples saw this in the life of Jesus. That that prayer is not just like reading your shopping list, you know, to the sky. Here's my issues. From the perspective and the teachings we're going to see of Jesus, that prayer, we learn this in James, is effective. We just studied this, right, in James 5, that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, a.k.a. it produces results. It's not pointless spiritual activity, static nothingness, just kind of filling time with, with just kind of my wishes and my, my, my positive thoughts. Scripture calls out to us as a people to almost come to God boldly with what he said in his word, which is this. If you pray, I'll respond. Well, how does it make sense with how God knows all things and has given us a free will? Okay, look. It's okay that you care. I don't. And I also don't think that you should. Care's not a good word. I don't think you should get so hung up on it. God knows. That's, that's my security. I'm, gonna, I'm trying to understand it. I read the word. I'm like, okay. Seems like God knew what was going to happen there. Also seems like that person made a dumb choice. Here's what we know. We know that God's word tells us, even in the Old Testament, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, here's what we know, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, notice this, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, I'm, I'm not the expert here. I'm, I'm not here to thread the, the needle of Calvinism and Arminianism this morning. That's next week. Come back next week. Not really. But here's what we see in this scripture. We see that there's an if that determines God's will. If you, I will. That's enough for me. If you pray, I will hear, I will respond because I care. Wow, that's it. That right there, whether or not you've got it all figured out, that is enough of a reason to bring that to God. Just say, Lord, I'm going to come to you believing that you are, and according to your word, Hebrews eleven six 6 says that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. I'm going to seek you, God. I don't have it all figured out, but you do, and you call me to pray. And listen, this isn't just scriptural um, ideas, right? Like, 
I think that's one of the biggest things with prayer today, too. I heard a quote the other day. Uh, Greg Laurie said this. He says, in the church today, especially when it comes to prayer, we have many theorists and very few practitioners. We've got tons of theorists today with theology. Oh, I think, where are the practitioners? Where are the people that go, you know how I know it's true? I did it. I watched it. You know, give me an apologetic for that. Right? That's an apologetic in and of itself. And this is our heritage as the church. That's what Rob Verdeen says. He's a Calvary Chapel pastor on the West Coast. I got to hear him teach at a youth workers conference years ago, and I love this quote. He said, God moving in power through prayer is the heritage of the church. Just look at history. Do we know this? Do you guys know that every fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in history can be directly related to prayer? Every single one. And, and, and uh, Charles Finney says it's a certain kind of prayer that prays with the certainty of being heard. There's a couple of these examples. Um, one that I've just been fascinated with recently as we think about what God has called us to pray for here in South Florida is a revival that took place in 1857, 1857 in New York called the Fulton Street Revival. The Fulton Street Revival of 1857. You want to hear this? Do you? Yeah. Thanks. Check this out. In 1857, there were 30,000 men idle on the streets of New York. Drunkenness was rampant. And the nation was divided by slavery. Wow, what a unique time in history. Only that time the nation was caught up in sin and divided politically. Weird. Check us out. God raised up a praying, check us out, businessman. I want to have an impact for the kingdom of God, but I don't work at a church. Oh, cool. That's not in the Bible. Praying businessman, Jeremiah Lampierre. On September 23, 1857, he began a noontime prayer meeting on Fulton Street in the financial district of Manhattan. Out of a city of one million people at that time, six people showed up a half hour late. The group decided to meet the next week, and it grew to 14. The next week, there were 23. The following week, there were 40. Within two months, there were thousands of business leaders meeting daily. God moved, listen to this, so powerfully in 1857 through this prayer meeting. God moved so powerfully that this prayer meeting spread across the nation. Fulton Street Revival. It is estimated that nearly one million people were converted out of a national population of 35 million. Including, listen to this, at one point, 10,000 weekly conversions in New York City for a season. And let me do a little math for you. That's today... In, in, in that time, I'll try to translate. So that's 3% of the U.S. population at that time. Uh, today, that's an equivalent of 10 million people coming to Christ. Why? Did a church come up with the strategy that no other church thought of? Did the pastor dress good and preach good? And was he funny? And was he, did their Instagram account hit it? No. A few Christians dared to believe God to do what he promised, which is to respond to his people praying. And it just causes us, I think, to be stirred to go, Lord, I want to do the same thing. And listen, we need to. We need to be. You know, I love this story where Jesus, he comes in the temple, he flips it over, and he goes, what are you doing to the Father's house? This is not your house. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Not a house of music. That's a really big trend right now, music, feeling God emotionally through music. I love how God uses music to connect us to God. I'm, I'm afraid of this generation looking to music as God, I'll be honest. Uh, I think music makes a great servant. It makes a bad master. It becomes your theology. You become more rooted in experience than the word of God. That can be dangerous. God never said, my house shall be a house of music. He said, play the tambourines and get it going. Plug in the electric guitars and blare that thing up. Get people worshiping. But he said, listen, my house is going to be a house of prayer, not even a house of preaching. We're called to preach the word in season and out of season. But if you go to Acts 2 and you see the first birthing, the first prayer meeting of the church, right? 3,000 people get saved. The church wasn't birthed in preaching. The church wasn't birthed in music. The church wasn't birthed in strategy. The church was birthed in prayer. 
And God's people going, God, we're going to come to you with what you say. So maybe this is pretty much my whole sermon, but I don't care. The necessity of prayer, guys. So, so what, what battles have you been fighting? What sort of spiritual goals have you been trying to achieve with the wrong tools? Just think about this for a second. How's your relationship with God? How's your intimacy with God? And how are you trying to heighten it and increase it? Here's, here's where I just start. Do you take time to just get alone with God and pray? What about that person in your life that you have been, you, you've been laboring to get them to fall in love with Jesus? Maybe you just need to realize this. You can't do that. You can't. Jesus woos people to him. We, we talk about how awesome he is. But he's the one that, that makes us aware of our thirst and need for him. Pray. The necessity of prayer. What makes this kind of hard is the second thing that I think provoked this question, which is the difficulty of prayer. Let's just be real here for a second. So I can, you can, right now you can be like, oh my gosh, Fulton Street Revival. I'm ready for the Boca Revival of 2019. Let's go. Why are you still preaching, Andrew? Why aren't we praying right now? Okay. But then there's this sobering reality that's going to hit you tomorrow morning. It's going to hit you Thursday, usually, you know, later on, once the sermon is kind of weared off, and you're like, oh, i got to go back to my job, okay. And, and it sort of sets in, and, and what's going to surface, you go, man, I'm, I'm trying to wake up early and pray, I'm and it starts to just set in, the difficulty of prayer, prayer hits us face first, like, whoa, this is hard. This is hard. Now, I, we talked about earlier, it's kind of a default, but there's a sense in which prayer is difficult. If it wasn't difficult, why would they ask Jesus to teach them how to do it, Right? Lord, teach us to pray. Uh, they were his disciples, right? We're disciples of Jesus. Did you guys know that the word disciple um, comes from the same root word as the word for mathematics? Did you know that? In fact, the Greek word for disciple looks like the word mathlete. It's not. I'm not sure why no one's ever really capitalized on that in the church. Like, we're Christian mathletes. I don't know why. Maybe there's a reason. <laughs> You're like, we know, Andrew. Okay, it's a horrible idea. Okay, but... When Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, he's saying, go into all the world and, and mathematics, go teach, go train. Now, here's the thing that's true about math. You have to be taught. You have to, there's, there's things you've got to remember. You've got to connect this to that. Jude and I are learning some basic math right now with his Hot Wheels cars. Um, and he, he can count. But there comes a point, Judah, where you've got to start carrying the one. He's like, why do you carry it? It's a number, you know? How do you, why do you, anyway, but that, that's kind of where we're at now. You need to be taught. Can I remind you that, listen, feeling the difficulty of prayer and facing the struggle of following Jesus is not what disqualifies you. It's what qualifies you. Why else would we need Jesus to be our discipler? Why else would, if we understood it all, why would we need, need him to teach us? If it wasn't difficult, you know, and some of us, that's what we need to hear, because some of us, that's our Christianity, we kind of, we know it all. And it's why we're not teachable, because there's no humility to acknowledge that we still need to learn. It's really hard to teach people who don't think they can learn anything. They've learned it all, they, they know it all. No, a disciple, in its essence, by its definition, is a learner. Jesus, teach me, because it's difficult, it's hard. Like math. Like, I'm just talking about basic math. I don't know where my math stopped, really low in the totem pole. But it's hard. You, you need to be taught. You need to be tutored. You need to be trained. So that's why they go to Jesus. They recognize the difficulty of it. Let me give you a few reasons why I think prayer is difficult. Three reasons. Our independency, our distractibility, and our own complexity. These are certainly true in my own life. I find myself struggling in prayer, first because of my independence. My natural tendency is to think, strategize, and problem solve, not pray. Anybody else? My natural, when something goes wrong, even when things are going good, man, I got to think, I got to strategize, and I got to problem solve. That, that's, that's my default. By the way, that's much easier than having to be patient and wait on the Lord, especially in our culture. Our, our default is independence. Prayer, by, nat by its nature, it's God dependence. How do you know how dependent you are on God? How much do you pray? How do you know how independent and non-dependent you are on God? How little do you pray? It's really that simple. But that's one of the things that makes it difficult, that tendency for independency. Um, also, distractibility. Um, 
especially if you're like me and you're distracted easily. If you're like, we know, Andrew, we sit under your teaching every Sunday. We think you're on point two. We're not sure. Okay. It's okay. Distractibility. How many times during just this service did you get distracted? Who's playing today? What's going on? What am I going to eat? What's going on? You know, what's up with these weird piping drapes in the back? Like, what? All right. And that's our heart in this environment. We want to eliminate distraction in our prayer life, man. How much of, of the struggle of prayer is just rooted to other things coming in the way and, and take me away from Jesus? And, and often they can be sin, by the way. That's what sin tries to do. It gives you the illusion of a, as a solution. Take this, drink this, experience this, feel this, do this. And you can, instead of um, walking with Jesus through the pain of your reality, you can um, escape your reality. Live in an alternate reality while the while things are still falling apart. Things are going to fall apart. The question is, are you going to walk with Jesus through it? But, but let's, let's be honest, Christians. Um, it's not just bad things. Most of what keeps us from prayer is good things. Probably the main reason why the church today doesn't pray like they did in 1857 is because we got so many good ideas. We got Instagram ads. People come. And so one mistake we make is if the room fills out, then we're successful. Or whatever it may be. We have all these substitutes for prayer, these distractions, these good things. Remember Martha? She was distracted with much serving. So we like to even say this as a church, like we, we would like... Like, part of everyone's involvement in our church is that you help, you know, you serve. Like if, you, if, you stay, if you stay on someone's couch one night, okay, it's good. But if you're there a week, you're probably going to be like, hey, can you do the dishes? You know? <laughs> help out. And there comes a point where, like, hey, like, you know, it takes a little bit of work. You want to be nice if you want to help, serve, help make, you know, take ownership of the church. But when you fill out a serve form to serve with us, there's a question that says, are you in the right season of life to be serving one heart that we have as a church is to ensure that um, our intimacy with God precedes our activity for God. So we don't want you to serve to get into something. We want to see everyone serve out of something, out of a relationship with God. Good distractions. And, and lastly, not just distractibility, but complexity. Like, for a lot of us, this is the main, this is where, like, if you were to put the, your finger on the difficulty of your prayer life, you are so caught up in the theological complexity of prayer then instead of just believing God and doing it, you're trying to figure everything out. And it's not just what we talked about earlier. Um, like, it's even, it's even the complexity, a complexity that leads you to anxiety. Like, you know, Philippians 4 says, you know, don't be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. It's like, what an easy verse, right? Don't worry about anything, just pray about everything. You know, <laughs> Paul. With, that, with, with prayer and supplication. But so, some of you guys, you, you got that, you have, you're like, okay, don't be anxious. And you start getting anxious about being anxious. Like, Let's pray. <laughs> okay. And you start thinking, and you get like even outcome anxiety. Like, what's going to happen? And so prayer is supposed to alleviate your anxiety, but it actually heightens your anxiety. Try to figure it out. You're, you're over-complexifying things. Makes prayer difficult. Let me just add to this. I'm just talking about human tendency. Um, I would add at the end of this that The culture we're in right now, secularism, it's the air we breathe. It's going to be more and more as a culture, less and less of a Bible belt, more and more of a secular belt in our nation. It seems that's where we're trending. God can turn anything and everything around. He's the God that brings dead things to life. But more and more of a post-Christian culture, that's who we're reaching out to at this time. I would submit to you that right now, as a 2019, 21st century American Christian, you are a part of a culture that potentially has made it harder to pray than ever. It may be harder to pray now than ever. I mean, just how does culture, does culture help these things? Independency. We used to pray for God to provide our daily bread because we didn't have credit cards. What we have keeps us from praying. Oh, we, we don't know what it's like to depend on God for a meal later. Most of us. Materialism. Not just what we have. You know what else in our culture keeps us from, from being dependent on God? What we know. 
we, we know too much. We don't, we, we don't need God anymore. We've learned more than he could ever teach us. So, and there's a truth to this in the sense that, that farmers used to pray blindly for, their, for the rain to come, right? And then over time, you see weather patterns, and you go, oh, there's things called rain cycles. There's weather cycles. And so even modern science has given people more and more reason to go, you know, I don't believe in God, I believe in science. Like, that's the thing. More and more people. I don't need God because of what I have and because what I know. What about, is there, is there any distractions today? Do you guys... I don't know how the age range in here, but um, for those of you who are long enough, do you guys remember boredom? <laughs> remember that? Remember when you're like, well, I just have to sit here now and wait to go into the doctor. And all you had was like the highlights mag, and you'd search for the, uh, ah, someone come in, you put it down, hey, you know. Um, man, we got more opportunities to escape and be entertained now than ever. I mean, it's like, I know I need to pray, but like, man in the high castle season four is on or whatever, you know? Like, I know I got to pray, but I just got to swipe. My finger, it's starting to cramp up. I got to swipe, okay? It's like, think about it. Think about how many distractions there are. And what about complexity? Man, talk about the climate we're in. Let's think philosophically. Is the culture that we're in right now, is it helping us take all things to God in prayer, or is it helping us trying to fix it ourselves? Of course not. Now, I think there's been some confusion, certainly, that's come up. I think a big cause of this is that, especially with modern technology and information that we have right in our pockets, like global brokenness, the brokenness of the world, um, has more press than ever before. You know what I mean? Like, you can learn about a shoot. So it's like evil is so much more in our face. It's always been there, right? But now it's just there. It's in front of us. And, and with that has come things like, hey, we don't need your thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers can never save this. And there's a, there's a sense in which we're going to learn that, that, that God calls his people to pray and act, right? But we've kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And, and, and pretty much it's because of the complexity of going, how can there be a God in the face of all this evil and if prayer works, how come this stuff is still... So it's complexity. Harder now than ever. And here's where we close. It wasn't just that the disciples, listen, knew that they needed to learn how to pray. They didn't just say to Jesus, Jesus, teach us to pray because they wanted to learn. They said it to Jesus because they wanted Jesus to be the one who would teach them. We're coming to Jesus here. Jesus, I love it. Will you teach us like John taught his disciples? We don't care what John taught them. We're coming to you, Jesus, because we're your disciples. Um, to be a disciple, what does it mean to be a disciple? It's to me, it's this. You commit your life to being formed into the image of Christ. Letting him do that. We're all, by the way, we're all being spiritually formed. Every person in this room, you're experiencing spiritual formation. The question isn't if you're being spiritually formed. It's by what and into what. What we say as Christians is spiritual formation is inevitable. We want to hand the keys of that to Jesus. We don't want our ideas or culture or whatever else it may be, some philosophy, be the thing that determines how we think because that's how we're shaped, by the way. We're shaped by ideas, words, thoughts that determine our patterns, our behavior. And so, so the disciples said, Jesus, we want your teaching, your words. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. Jesus, we want your words to be the thing that is shaping who we are. Jesus said, I'm going to sanctify you that way by my word. My word is truth. This is what discipleship to Jesus looks like. It goes, man, I see the necessity of prayer. I, um, but I also am faced with the difficulty of prayer. But in the midst of that dilemma, Jesus is right there in the middle and he says, come, come here. You've come to me. Who have you come to? You've come to Jesus. And for Jesus, prayer was his specialty. That's the third point, actually. The specialty of prayer. The specialty. We know Jesus specializes in all of life. And we should come to him to form every part of our life, our relationship, our finances, everything. But Jesus is the one, he's the only one that deserves our attention to say, Lord, teach us to pray. We want to be a praying people. He especially specializes in this. When our daughter, Evie, two years ago, broke her collarbone. It's horrible. Falling out of a little kitty uh, swimming pool. 
the honest truth is uh, we, our backs were turned, and we don't know what happened, but I want you to think I'm a good parent, so I was lying. But I wasn't lying, but, you know, that's what happened. We think she fell out of a swimming pool. Um, and she broke her, her clavicle here. They say it's the best bone to break and the best spot to break as a two-year-old. If you're going to break a bone, break that one. Um, but we had, to, we had to take her beyond the ER. We had to take her to a specialist. And this is a doctor that specializes in caring for those unique areas of our life. And can I say Jesus is that for us? Especially when it comes to prayer. He's the prayer specialist. And, and maybe for you, you're like, the reason why I don't pray is because I'm ashamed of how much I don't. Maybe you're like, I don't pray because I'm just really bad at it. I don't pray. Maybe you list, what is your reason for why you don't pray? Whatever it is, here's, here's the thing, ready? That's the thing that Jesus wants you to bring to him. He says, come to me, all you who are weary from trying to pray. Experience my rest. I'm a prayer specialist. And here's what you get with Jesus. Here's what you get from his spirit. I love this. It tells us in Romans 8 that the spirit helps in our weaknesses. Look at this. Because we don't know what to pray for as we ought. It's difficult. What do I even, you ever been there? I don't even know what to say. But the Spirit himself, makes, uh, himself intercedes for us with groanings too, te- too deep with words. Now, Romans goes on to say that it's not only the Holy Spirit who's interceding for us, but it actually says that it's Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, and he also makes intercession for us. You see this picture of Jesus? Not just our master, but our high priest, who stands between us and God, makes sense of our prayers, Here's our prayers, is our bridge to God, and he's the one that says, come to me. What a, what a perfect person to go to. And as we come to Jesus, his word, it shapes us. Like, it shapes us. In grace, in grace, whatever your weaknesses are. Don't let your weakness in prayer disqualify you from praying. Let it, let it bring you to Jesus. As Christians, you know, we understand that it's when we're weak that we're actually strong, right? I'm weak here. Maybe it's, that's what you got to do today. God, I, I, I'm not good at prayer. Perfect, come to me. Bring what you have. And just start simple. I already said recently, just pray what you've got. Don't pray what you don't have. Don't come before God and try to give him all that you think he wants from you. God doesn't want you to come before him as someone trying to bring him all that you think he wants from you. He wants you to come before him as you. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out solaschurch.com.